Praise the Lord. This morning, I welcome you to Zachariah Ministries podcast. Let me just say the very onset, the aim is to teach God's word in sincerity and in truth. I intend to even tackle and discuss hard questions from God's word. Because I believe that what God has placed in his word is sufficient for us to have salvation, sanctification, prepare us to the rapture, and to honor God on this earth. And as we delve into God's word, we will find that we will be drawn closer to him. There are many who degrade the importance of God's word. But I want to say that God's word is very, very important because the word of God is looked upon as being seed. According to the parable of the soil, when that word is sown into good soil, there will be a good harvest. But there's one thing I want to emphasize before I get into today's episode. And that is, unless you understand what is taught from God's Word on any topic, it does not become yours. Jesus, in the parable of the source, said, The seed that fell by the wayside represent those who hear God's word but do not understand it and therefore the devil came and he stole it from them. If you believer, if we as believers do not understand God's word on any particular topic, we will find that that word is not ours. We will not benefit from it because of a lack of understanding. But as we understand God's word, it becomes ours. I can remember when I was going to high school, way back in the late 60s, in the late 60s, early 70s, that I understood one thing, is that what I understand, it's mine. What I don't understand, it's not mine. It doesn't become a part of me. And I want to encourage you. Seek for an understanding of God's word. That will outlive all experiences. That will outlive everything that you may face on this earth. Because the word of the Lord endureth forever. As I continue in these episodes, you are going to find I'm going to refer to this particular concept. What you understand becomes yours, because this is very important. Now, today we're going to look in the book of Jonah. Matter of fact, I'm going to cover all four chapters in the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is a very, very interesting person. Matter of fact, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Jonah. Scripture tells us that 
God came to Jonah. God came to Jonah and revealed himself to Jonah. He called Jonah. The actual scripture tells us, and I'm going to read it here. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was taken, was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. The first thing I want is to know that Jonah did not seek God to know his will. Jonah did not go to God and said, God, I want to do something for you. God came to Jonah to make known his will. And believers, this is very, very, very important. Many times we find in the Old Testament words like these. The word came unto, with the prophet's name, or God appeared unto the prophet. You see, God always takes the initiative when it comes to revelation of his will. He may put a desire in your heart to seek him, to know his will. He takes the initiative there. He may just come and tell you some stuff. He may make known his will unto you. God seeks us. Before we came to the Lord, we weren't seeking God. God sought us. In so many mysterious ways, we may think, oh, I just thought about it. No, you did not think about it. For the scripture tells us it is God who gives us both the willingness and the power to please him. So coming to God is no mistake. Knowing God's will is no mistake. It, as a, it is as a result of divine in, initi initiation. God makes the first move. To me, this defines God as one who wants man to know his will. He initiates contact with man. He calls. This does not negate the exhortation to seek the Lord. What it does is to make known the divine desire to communicate his will to man. Now, on further research, we will find this of Jonah. He was from the lower Galilean uh, town of Gethhefa in Zebulun. 
Remember in John chapter 7, verse 52, it says, They answered and said unto Jesus, Art thou also of Galilee? Search, look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Now that was a false statement. For Jonah was of Galilee, lower Galilee, of Gethheva in Zebulun. The Bible says in Joshua 19, verse 13, and from thence pass it on along on the east of Gethsemane. Uh, right, so there is where he came from. In 2 Kings 14.25 it says, He restored the coast of Israel from entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake. By the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Heva. So Jonah was from Galilee. So indeed there was a prophet, there were prophets from Galilee. At least there was one Jonah. So that statement in John 7.52, where they said, Search and look, for out of Galilee riseth no prophet. They did not know the word and they made a false statement. In the New Testament, his name is spelled Jonas, J-O-N-A-S. That is found in Matthew chapter 12, 39 to 41, and Luke 11, 29 to 32. Now both Peter of the New Testament and Jonah of the Old Testament came from Galilee. In Matthew 4, 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And then in 2 Kings 14.26, it says, He restored the coast of Israel from entering of Hamath onto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet, which was of Gathheva. So, two things we learn there or that is emphasized, is that both Peter and Jonah came from Galilee. And what is written in 2 Kings 14.25 tells me that the book of Jonah, or the prophecy of Jonah is found in the book, in the Bible, Jonah prophesied much more than what is found here. In these four chapters of Jonah, the book found just after Obadiah, and before Micah, we just have Jonah's encounter with God as it relates to Nineveh and God's calling upon his life to go to Nineveh. But Jonah was a prophet in action in other areas. Amen. Now the scripture tells us that God told Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. It was Jonah's commission to warn Nineveh of impending judgment from God. Now, Nineveh was the ancient capital of the Neo-Assyrian Mesopotamian Empire. The capital of this big empire. Nineveh was once the most powerful city in the world or this region of the world, as a matter of fact, and was the largest city 
of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Now today, that old city of Nineveh is located on the outskirts of the city of Mosul in modern-day northern Iraq. So Nineveh, the capital of that great Assyrian Mesopotamian empire, that capital was situated in what we call today Iraq. You know, years ago, before Iraq and these other countries became more known in the world, when you, people read the Bible, they did not associate it with real places. But now, the entire world knows there's a place called Iraq. There's a place called Mosul in Iraq. You know, now people recognize, hey, you know something? This Bible actually speaks of real things, real places. And let me tell you, believers, not only are the places real, but what God says in his word is also real. Although we know that judgment never materialized because of Nineveh's repentance, so God never judged Nineveh, yet it serves to show that God warns before sending judgment. And if there is repentance, such judgment will be averted. You know, this is a very important thought. Is that God says that all sinners, all those who ignore Jesus, all those who decide to live for themselves and not for God, will be judged and punished. But God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus Christ that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Therein is the manifestation of the love of God. I have heard some people say, and rather, you know, stupidly say, well, God wouldn't send anybody to hell because he's a God of love. No, God is going to send you to hell if you don't repent. But God's love is demonstrated in that he sent his son Jesus Christ as a way of escape. So when God gives a way of escape, and you go there, you place your life in the hands of Christ, you commit your life to God, you allow God to live through you, you have accepted his love. But if you continually live a lifestyle of sin, rebelling against God, and believe that because God is love, he wouldn't send you to hell, you're totally deceived. The Bible says, be not deceived, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. There is something else I want to say. God does not send judgment to people until, as I quote from Genesis 15, 16, the iniquity of a country is come to the full. In Genesis 15, 16, it says, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God did not punish the Amorites because he says the iniquity of that country or that group of people, did not come to the full. It seems to me that there is a measure that God uses, which none of us knows, but there is a measure that God uses when 
That measure is full. He will judge the individual. He will judge the country. He will judge nations. He will judge the world. But until then, because God is just, he gives a place for repentance. And so today, I'm going to close on this note. The only reason why you are living today is to do God's will. And because you're alive, it means you have not completed doing the will of God. And for those who may not know Jesus Christ, the only reason why you are alive today is because God has given you an opportunity to do his will, to come to Jesus Christ. So let me repeat this last thought. God does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. According to Ezekiel 33, verse 11. And I read, Say unto them, As I live, said the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 33, verse 11. God doesn't rejoice when a wicked person dies. You know, today it's very disturbing to see people celebrate the death of another human being. Now, that other human being may be a devil in human form, better to mean extremely wicked. And that person may be put to death because that person has killed other people. And the Bible does support capital punishment. Just bear with me. It does support it. You study the Bible and it does support it. Or it may be somebody is an enemy of a state and the state, in order to reduce the incursions made by the enemy and the destruction the enemy has afflicted on a particular country, that, person, that country has a responsibility to neutralize the enemy. And that is done. Now, even when an enemy is neutralized, that person is your enemy. The scripture does not support celebration of the death of any human being. There was a high court judge in Guyana. I wouldn't call his name. He's deceased now. But I learned whenever he gave the death penalty, he he will be there sitting in judgment listening to the arguments. Whenever he gives a death penalty, he normally has a pencil, a lead pencil, and he breaks it. But when he gets back into his chair,